welcome to all you folks out there in cast country. You're listening to the Kitchen Sink Podcast. It's the show about everything and nothing. I'm your host, Memphis T-Bone Dotson, and I'm the illegitimate son of a Louisiana voodoo woman named Miss Cleo, but my friends usually call me Just Chad. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Welcome back to the Kitchen Sink Podcast. Tonight, we are kicking off a brand new segment with a very good friend of mine, Miss Sabrina Heyman. And we started talking about this segment quite some time ago, and it's a little bit uh, macabre. It's a, sometimes it's a little embarrassing to admit the fascinations that we have. But one fascination that Sabrina and I found out that we shared was the fascination of true crime. And Sabrina is here to help us launch what I hope will be a, a recurring segment. But Sabrina, how are you doing this evening? I'm great. I'm so excited to be behind the mic and a little bit nervous in the aspect that I'm exposing myself to everybody and that they all know that like, this is kind of the crazy that my brain is (laughs) true crime. I'm kind of obsessed. Well, so uh, I got to thinking about myself and, and I just put this question to my brain earlier. What is it that piqued my interest in true crime. And for me there, it was actually an event. Um, but what was it for you? Where, where did your fascination with true crime start? I believe it was the original unsolved mysteries. Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) I believe it. I can still vividly remember so many episodes from, I mean, I couldn't have been seven or eight maybe Yeah. when it was out and I watched it every time I got the chance. Unsolved Mysteries was a family event. Yes, yes. At my house. I mean, we didn't we didn't really sit down and eat dinner together. We went on very few vacations, but by golly, we used to love to sit down and watch Unsolved Mysteries together. <laughs> did you watch Rescue 911 as well? Uh, we did not watch that one. It's uh, not true crime, but it kind of fell along the same lines and I I very much enjoyed both of them. Yeah. Well, my see what's what's funny about Unsolved Mysteries is that my mom has a lot of irrational fears and unsolved mysteries made it way worse because she was just convinced that children got kidnapped every day mm-hmm. walking home from school. And so I didn't do a lot of things outside late at night or doing a lot of walking by myself. It was more of, you know, well, Chad, are you in a group of four to six children? And, 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 and do you think you're faster than at least one of the children in the group? <laughs> she, she was real paranoid about those things. I'm not real sure why she watched Unsolved Mysteries, but we loved that show. Yes. Have you watched the new ones? I did. I haven't watched them all, but man, they're Here, good. Yes. And here's what I like about the new Unsolved Mysteries. They didn't try to do exactly what had been done before. And I appreciated that. Whenever somebody tries to resurrect something, I think sometimes they lean too heavily on the nostalgia of it and they kind of mess it up. Uh, and, but the only real nostalgia that I, I recall was the the host. They show the, the face. Intro. Yes, yeah, in the intro. Yeah, the intro. perfect. I'm like, that's, and that's all you needed yes. to do. But the way that they weave those stories, it's it's really fascinating. Yes. And I think probably all of us grew up with local lore about things that 
We weren't quite sure if they were real, but we heard those stories. I shared some with you guys on the on the Cheaper Than Therapy podcast a while back about Old Man Manly yes. and, I'll never forget uh, that. <laughs> and and about the Nazi cave. I think I might have shared yes. the Nazi cave with you. Um, and uh, and I'll probably do a whole full-blown episode. We got to go to the Nazi cave live and Old Man Manly's yes. one. We just got to do it. We got to video it. That'll be when we take this thing video. We'll go get it on YouTube. We'll... It's going to be amazing. We'll do we'll do gorilla podcasts. We'll just go out in public and we're podcasting right here out front of old man Manley's get the cops called on us. You'll It'll, love to edit that. I will love to edit that. <laughs> um yeah, no that was that was a good one for me. My fascination with true crime really didn't start heavy until I was in high school and we had to do a research paper for my senior English class. And I was a senior, 96, 97. That was my senior year. And the internet had just kind of become a thing around here. And the girl I was dating, they had internet at their house. I didn't have it yet. And for whatever reason, one of the websites we were directed to one night was a website about the Jack the Ripper case, which, Mm -hmm. to be honest, I'd never really thought that much about, I was aware of the name, didn't know anything about it. And this tumbled into me going to a bookstore and buying an encyclopedia of the Jack the Ripper investigation. And there was a certain shock and awe type of thing when you're looking at the victims of Jack the Ripper and what they did and how gruesome and violent some of those uh, crime scenes were. And you're thinking, man, this was you know, late 1800s, and it became this big transatlantic all over the world. Everybody knew about Jack the Ripper. And I decided to do my senior research paper about that. I think I even did a speech in our public speaking class about it because I became so enamored with it. And then that just led to watching more and more things. Anytime there's anything on Netflix about true crime, whether it's about murder or whether it's about blue cro- blue collar crime or white collar crime, uh, I am a hundred percent in uh, everything from theft to murder. You got me, hook, line, and sinker. I love it. I love it too. And do you think it um, makes us feel better about ourselves <laughs> to, <laughs> to like be surrounded by like all these stories of such horror? And we're like, oh yeah, maybe I'm not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I really because I I I asked that question to myself this mm-hmm. week. Why? what does it say about me that I have this really morbid fascination, but I, I don't think we're even remotely alone. It seems like so many people are into it. So this led me to a little Google search and I ended up reading an article uh, from psychology today and they laid out these five interesting reasons why we're somewhat enamored with serial killers and true crime in general, but in particular uh, serial killers, because that's something we're going to talk about tonight. We've got one serial killer in particular that we're going to hone in on tonight. And again, when you hear this story, it's one of those things you're going to say, how does the whole wide world not know about this? Because it is so much stranger than fiction, but Uh, In this psychology today, one of the reasons, the first reason they gave uh, for our fascination with serial killers, and I was a little surprised by this, is that they're rare. They're extremely rare. Maybe 
25 or so serial killers operating in the U.S. at any one given time. And oftentimes what they do is exotic. It's tantalizing. You don't know exactly why they're doing it, what motivated them to do it, you know, what would drive an individual to do this kind of thing. But the sheer rarity of it tends to drive a lot of that narrative. They also say that part of the fascination is that the victims are often chosen randomly. In the case of serial killers, more often than not, it's got everything to do with feeding whatever it is they feel like they need to satisfy in themselves. And we all understand that drive to satisfy something in ourselves, but but to satisfy it with murder is, is quite the interesting stretch. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I mean, I've been pretty angry before. I, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever been angry enough to want to actually kill someone, but I've uh, I've been angry enough to want to really, really, really hurt someone. I, I'm ashamed to admit, but I sometimes think if maybe the circumstances were to align just right, it could happen. <laughs> I, choose, I have a coworker and I, we joke about um, this all the time. Like we, we, we've listened to so much true crime that we're fairly certain we could get away with it. <laughs> no, I, I don't obviously think that I would, but it's kind of, it is fascinating to think about like not necessarily a serial killer, but like a, just a one-time hit. Like yeah, what causes that person to do this or do that? Or what's that one thing that just pushes them? Well, and I think, too, we we assume that murders are solved very commonly, but I think I remember reading a statistic somewhere that murders don't get solved nearly as often as we think, that there's kind of a of a window of opportunity, and and once that window is gone, it becomes infinitely harder to solve that particular crime. I, th- I think about Jack the Ripper is a good instance, or, or a good... Uh, a good example because they believe maybe they finally solved the Jack the Ripper case. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I, I think over a hundred years ago now. And they found a piece of DNA evidence that linked to a certain individual who was a suspect and who one of the investigators, maybe the lead investigator wrote that they knew police knew at the time, or at least they believed very strongly that this man was Jack the Ripper, but they didn't have enough compelling evidence to actually bring him in and hold him. But there was an eyewitness that put him at, at or near the scene of one of the murders. And now all these hundreds of, or all these hundreds, all these decades later, we find DNA evidence that puts him at the very least on the clothes of the deceased. So in all likelihood at the crime scene. So, but that took over a hundred years for us to get that far. And, and of course that guy is long dead by now. And so I think we get a false idea from movies and television that, Oh yeah, murders are solved way more often than we think. But I, but, but I think more often than not, the circumstances are too peculiar or, or, or too uh, remote to, to really fixate on an answer. I think about how fascinated everybody was with that making a murderer show. And, and when you look at all the, the, the elements surrounding that, and at the end of the day, you sit back and go, well, I don't know if Stephen Avery did it or not, but what I do know is we have no clue 
if, if he's not the one, then who, who did it and how did they do it? And we may never know. And Stephen Avery may languish in prison forever. Uh, and we might never, ever get that answer. And so uh, the fact that murder is rare and oftentimes unsolved is, I don't know, there's something, something about that, that, that just, that, that tickles the mind and, and, and makes you kind of come back. It's, I think there's a sort of a natural a deductive instinct within us all that wants to figure out who done it and, and how did, how did they get away with it? Because a lot of people get away with it. even serial killers, a lot of prolific serial killers get away with it for 20, 30, sometimes 40 years or just never caught period. Like who killed the black Dahlia? Do we really know? I don't know. Can you imagine that life though, as whoever was Jack the Ripper, like living the rest of your life one being like, I'm that guy. No one else knows it. Right. And two constantly on edge. That yeah. you're going to get busted. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine. Um, the The fact that, that so many murderers don't seem to have a conscience and there's no explicable. Like when I started reading about the nature of psychopaths, I thought, I can't imagine not having any empathy, not feeling anything, uh, having a complete, a complete disregard for the health, safety, and well-being of others, that all that really matters is feeding the thing that matters to me. I guess maybe you could say that that sort of appeals to some basic caveman instinct within us, like survival against all odds or whatever. But uh, but it, it definitely seems like something something darker. I think in the case of most serial killers, this was something that the Psychology Today article expounded on, is that so often our fascination is driven by the fact that that many of these people have these kind of weird inner demons that they're fighting against or try to rationalize with. And, and they, they can't, the only way they know how to rationalize it out or live with it uh, is by exacting that thing that's inside of them on other people, whatever it may be. And that, that has a real visceral appeal to the public. And, and just because most of us would never do that. What would drive someone to do that? It's it's really the the question that we can't answer. Why does Ted Bundy do what he does when ninety nine percent of the population would it would never even cross their minds, but yet for him it was almost like a work of art or like who we're going to talk about tonight. There's definitely a a very weird methodology in play that has more to do with just simple murder, but but very much seems like satisfying. Uh, an urge that just doesn't live in your average human being. Yeah, man. I am um, think about like too. We're all probably, we all, there's a possibility that all of us are just like one snap away from that mental state. Yeah. Not, not like anyone particularly, but like the person you see at the grocery store could snap tonight or, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's scary. Like the amount of mental unhealthiness in our society is astounding and to know that like that could happen to someone you just passed on the street or you just never know. Well, you know, me, like (laughs) I could do it. Well, you know, years ago, uh, I had one of those moments where there was a murder at the Meg's motel and that place is creepy. Yes. It's extremely, we're driving past it the other day and 
my son or daughter one said, oh, we should stay there sometime. I said, no, we're not. Not unless we're filming an episode of Breaking Bad or something. No, we have no reason to go there. Is it even still open? <laughs> I don't know. I, the lights still flicker. Uh-huh. Like the Bates Motel yes. or something. It's yes. so extraordinarily creepy. But many, many years ago now, there was that murder. And I don't even remember who got murdered or who did the murdering. All I remember is being in the office at Southern High School one day and looking up at the television and I see a familiar face, a girl I dated in high school who had been arrested and was somehow connected to these events. Uh, I, I don't think she had anything to do with the murder. I, uh, maybe she did. I don't know. I never really looked into it. But it, one of the, it was one of those surreal moments where you're like somebody that I know I, I mean, I, I did the junior high dance with this girl. We shuffled back and forth the journeys faithfully. And now here she is on TV in the company of murderers and thieves and drug addicts and Lord only knows what else. And it was very surreal. And I said, and I said to the girls working the, the, the desk, I said, I know this girl. And they said, how did you, how do you know her? I said, well, I dated her in school. And they said, what did you do? <laughs> And I said, well, I did break up with her at the Valentine's Day dance. And they said, that's no. it. That's it. This that's is it. horrible. She's on TV right now, Chad, because you broke up with her at the Valentine's Day dance. And I said, well, who knows? I don't know. You never know what's going to just, well, right. like, you, like you said, we're all just one snap mm -hmm. away from being that person. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I changed this girl's life for the worse. Maybe I got a... Maybe I got a hunter down, but I'm so sorry you were involved in a murder at the Creepy Meg's Motel. She'd be like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> Do I know you? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I am very eager to talk about this woman that we're going to examine the life of here a little bit. And when you sent me the article and I pulled up the picture, the first thing that I saw and read was uh, the this headline, which reads, Known as Hell's Bell and the Black Widow, Bell Gunnis killed at least 14 people in the American Midwest from 1884 to 1908. And I said, say what now? Right? <laughs> so you did a bunch of research about Bell Gunnis. So tell the people what they need to know about this most dangerous of women. Honestly, this woman was... Kind of genius. <laughs> Obviously, she has some issues, as we all do, but to the extent of her issues are crazy. I, I heard this story several years ago. My mind was just completely blown away by it because, one, the as we were talking earlier, like the dates that this happened was in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and I'm thinking, I just don't think of that time as things like this happening. It, right. it feels so wholesome and simple and not crazy like today's society, but this is a legit crazy story. She's thought to kill like up to 40 people over the span of her active years. I yeah. Guess. We don't even know. That's no. okay. We don't know. No. So she um, was, um, she was mm -hmm. a migrant from yeah. Norway and um, she came to the States. She met a guy. She fell in love she adopted some kids like just crazy the way that she um used her situations for her gain so she um found a husband ended up uh, um having children and also adopting 
adopting a child, taking over a child from a woman that she knew who was sick. They bought a candy store. They were running this business. Candy store mysteriously burns down. Mysteriously burns down. She claims the money. Mm -hmm. I wonder if this is like at this time, if insurance fraud was a thing or if she just like developed it. She is OG insurance fraud. Back then, people were probably just like, Oh no, Belle, that's so sad. We shall don't worry, we're gonna make it right. And right? she's like, Yeah, suckers. Yes, and then it something clicked. Mm-hmm. Then and she was like, hmm. First husband dies as well after the fire. No, they buy a home. That's what happens. They buy a home together. It mysteriously burns. She clicks the money. They also had uh four kids. But two of the kids That's right. died mysteriously. Of symptoms that were like stomach issues, yes. but were strangely similar to poisoning. Right. They said the kids died of acute colitis and 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 but a, a savvy coroner today would have known that, well, hang on a second. I think it was maybe the the symptoms of a of acute colitis are similar to what you would find if someone was being slowly poisoned by strychnine or something like that, strychnine or something like it. And I think in this day, it was not uncommon for people to keep things in their home that were not great. Right. Like we there wouldn't was, have those today. There was no FDA back then approving things. <laughs> she was at the pharmacy trying to get stuff. Right. Well, and too, this is a time where uh, you know, child death was... Not uncommon. That's true. Infant mortality rates very high. Uh, kids getting sick. I mean, getting a fever and just dropping dead. You know, so it, it's it's not that crazy to think that uh, that that these kids would have died of natural causes. I remember reading somewhere that the coroner who uh, investigated those deaths just just quickly wrote it off, but had some suspicions that conceivably something could be wrong that I see in this story with her first husband, I think it was him, is that they he had an insurance policy, yes. right? And and on his his insurance policy was set to expire and renew on the same day. And it just so happens that he mysteriously dies on that, that day. That one day. That one day was the only time that she could have claimed that the policies overlapped, so she was able to claim both. Yes. So she could get what what in today's money would be big money. Like I like I want to say maybe something like a hundred and twenty five or one hundred and fifty k, something like that in today's money. A lot a lot of cash that yeah. she collected. I mean, can you imagine how far you uh, even one hundred and twenty five k would get you in eighteen ninety four? Right. <laughs> just, She's sitting on some money right now. I'm going to backtrack just a second. Um, when she was. 18, she got pregnant with her first baby. Mm. Did you hear this story? Uh, No. And she was with somebody who she convinced to kick her in the stomach so that she would lose the baby. Oh, my. And then days later, he ended up sick and dead. Whoa. Just saying. I had not heard that, though. That's That's a brutal story. Can you imagine starting out like that? I mean, and then, and then, uh, her in her young life, I seem to remember hearing that she was born to poor parents, that they struggled financially their whole life. And so much of what she did in her adult life seems to have been financially motivated. Mm-hmm. But but then to to do something like that, though, to hire someone to basically help you 
have a miscarriage. Just to turn around to kill him? Like, was that her yeah. reasoning? Like, <laughs> she, I don't know, like, she realized she was having a baby. She didn't want to, so she worked it out, whatever. But, like, then just to turn around to kill this guy? Like, was she having remorse after that? Like, who knows? Like, yeah. this woman doesn't seem to be quite where she needs to be mentally, but. Oh, uh, according according to uh, Belle, her first husband came home, had a little bit of a headache. Yes, that's right. Yep. And, and, and she said, all I did was give him some some quinine or whatever it is, some some magical snake oil. And then he was just dead. I don't know what happened. He died of a massive heart attack or whatever. I mean, he, but he, he died shortly thereafter. So, I mean, clearly she she was giving him something. I, I think it's very clear she kills her husband. I think she killed two of her kids, too. At this point, like I'm wondering in her head if this has kind of become like just part of the game. Yeah. Like, it's thrilling. Let's see what I can get away with. I've done this. I've collected that. I've collected this. All these people are dead. Let, let's see how far we can take this. Yeah. But it doesn't stop there. <laughs> As she then meets another man and is married again. And this husband also ends up dying. I've heard several stories. I think Belle has told not one straight story is the the meat grinder. He bent over to pick up his shoes. A meat grinder fell off of a shelf Landed on his noggin, mm-hmm. done deal. And I also heard that the meat grinder fell onto a pot of boiling water and then him. So, um, yeah, uh, apparently the coroner that investigated that death of the, the second husband said, well, it seems a little strange, but I think we have to embrace that it was an accident. Something that, that people should probably know about, uh, about Bell Gunnis is that she was a, um, she was a sturdy gal. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was. She was. Uh, she was, was Norwegian. <laughs> yes. She. She was a Viking. Which I hugged a Viking this past weekend. What? Oh yeah. One of my former band students uh, um, married a guy from Norway, and he came. He was talking to me, and I forget what his name is or whatever. Was it but spin? he was. Uh, I, I don't know. I wish, but uh, he was. Uh, or uh, uh, I can't. Remember. Oh, I can't remember his name. But anyway, as we were getting ready to part ways, I said, well, man, I don't know about you, but I'm a hugger. He said, I'm a hugger, too. And he brought me in and he pulled me real tight and it just dawned on me. I'm hugging a Viking right now. Oh, my gosh, I'm hugging a Viking. This dude was massive. Um, But yeah, but no, Belle Gunnis, she was a 200 pound rugged woman who was incredibly strong. Apparently, someone once saw her lift a 300 pound piano all by herself, and then turned to them and exclaimed, "Oh, I like music at the house!" You know, just, just this big old, big old gal just dragging a piano around. Like, maybe, wow. the, maybe the coroner was afraid of her. Maybe so. <laughs> he was afraid he was next. That's like he right. has seen enough. So after her second husband dies, um, she buys a farm and starts putting ads in the local newspaper looking for farm hands. Um, it was a Norwegian newspaper mm-hmm. so she was luring in her people yeah and i think it was maybe even a norwegian language newspaper so all the english-speaking folks they don't have any clue what's going on they don't speak that language and just watching these norwegian guys come to the farm with hopes of love and work and, and what gets me she's like come on over bring all your money and they fall for it. Like, she must have been quite smooth talking. Mm-hmm. They like their women burly. They do. <laughs> they, they like that good Norwegian hairy leg look, you know. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's there's more tragedy. You know, after she marries uh, Peter Gunnis, 
Peter has an infant daughter uh, from a previous relationship, and that daughter mysteriously dies. And then Peter also, you know, dies, you know, from the sausage grinder thing. And then um, Peter had a daughter, of, uh, or well, uh, 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 there was a foster daughter that uh, Bell Gunnis had picked up along the way out to uh, this new life and this new farm and everything. And her name was Jenny Olson. And apparently she would just exclaim to people, my mama killed my papa. And she would say things like, she hit him on the head with the meat cleaver and he died. Don't tell us so. Every day. I mean, she's probably seen this more than once. Uh-huh. And then not, nothing. And then not long after that, this little Jenny Olsen girl, she vanishes from existence with this story about her biological mother supposedly sending her out to California to go to school and all these other things. But uh, so that, ain't, now. that ain't what happened. They found out later that was wrong. What well, seems like what happens after Jenny Olsen's disappearance, which does bring a little bit of suspicion, it seems. It seems like people are like, wait a minute, these these people keep showing up, but but they they don't seem to come out. And now we got a little kid that's just in the wind somewhere. Um, but you know, Belle, she just keeps she just keeps on putting the mads out there. People keep coming on back and maybe I mean, who's to say maybe she was getting a taste for killing by this chance. Maybe she felt free out on that farm out on, you know, kind of like a, you know, a new area where she was sort of away from things and who knows what, what motivated her, but, but she would put ads in newspapers saying things like uh, personal comely widow who owns a large farm in one of the finest districts in LaPorte County, Indiana desires to make the acquaintance of a gentleman equally well provided equally well provided meaning uh don't show up if you ain't got money exactly that's right don't no and and she goes on uh with a view of joining fortunes with a view of joining fortunes she makes it so obvious as to what she wants she wants your money and then she wants your head right yeah and i like this she ends by saying no replies by letter will be considered unless the sender is willing to follow the answer with a personal visit triflers need not apply don't even waste my time <laughs> don't even waste my time you got to have a job if you want to be with me it's a full on janet jackson situation right here <laughs> oh my gosh it's just so amazing because it seems so obvious right? it seems crazy obvious but yeah i'm sure like in today's society, this would be Facebook and we'd be seeing, oh, she's after another one. And like two weeks later, oh, she's after another one. Like, mm. and that day, like being so slow to spread the right. news, like it might not have been that big of a. Well, and then too. Easy to catch on to, I guess. Right. Never underestimate the value of loneliness. And it seems like her real knack was for targeting people that were lonely that were from her home country um, many of whom had no real contact with their old lives and I think that that was key because who's going to come looking for them and this is all classic serial killer behavior it's the kind of thing that makes serial killers so hard to pin down because these people just I mean again early America essentially 
expanding westward. You know, she's she headed westward to make her fortunes and lay claims. And she can just as easily say they went west or they went back to wherever they were. And Right, who, which she did. Yeah. Whenever um, her second husband's brother come looking for him, Gus, mm-hmm. yeah, she yeah. was like, he went back home. Like, I don't know what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah, there was, <laughs> there was a guy named George Anderson who described a really creepy encounter with Belle Gunnis. He had come from Missouri. He fit the bill. You know, he had he had the money, so he wasn't a trifler. He had the J-O-B. He was ready to go. And he shows up, and he's like, yo, boo, what's up? Let's do this. And, and then... <laughs> He goes to bed one night and then just imagine this. It freaks me out enough when my own children, children. <laughs> yes. are coming, how they're, they're in my face at bed at night. But here's this big old sturdy 200 pound Norwegian woman that apparently can throw pianos for fun. And she's just over your bed, lean, looking at you with this crazy eyed expression on, on her face. And this guy was so disturbed by it. He's like, man, I'm, I'm bouncing. Yep. I'm out. I can't. And just what on earth would even compel you just to, oh boy, here's another one. I got, he's got money and he's going to die. And, and where are all these bodies going? The hog pen. The hog pen. Well, yeah. And then she hired people who were their sole purpose was to dig holes. Like at what point do you start asking questions? Like what's this hole for? Why am I digging so many? (laughs) Well, when the New York Tribune interviewed the farmhands, they they would say, well, you know, she there's a lot of guys uh, hanging around. It was a pretty uh, pretty common occurrence. I mean, it was a new guy basically every other week to stay at the house. You know, she'd always say that they were you know cousins and they came from the Dakotas or from Wisconsin or they blew in from Chicago and you know and she always made the kids stay away from her cousins. You know, probably she didn't want to get too attached because she knew she was going to kill them, but. Uh, Man, her final victim did her in, though. She made a mistake. Her final victim had connections with someone back home. It ended up being her undoing. A guy by the name of Andrew Helgeline, Helgeline, I don't know exactly how you say it, but he sees her ad, and he's like, you know what? I'm Norwegian. I'm, I got a little cash. Yeah, let's go see this girl. And uh, they started exchanging romantic letters. She was con artist. But I'm telling you, I mean, you used to imagine, you know, I got back in the day. Did you ever, did you ever write letters back in the day? Were you a letter writer person? Um, just like to my classmates, you know, like yeah. when you were bored in class, I know you don't know anything about that being a teacher, but. Oh, well, well, you know what? Well, nowadays, of course, you know, they, they, they have they, text. Yeah. <laughs> they just text it or, or snap it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you see a hand like reaching from a back pocket, you know that, oh, I turned my back for two seconds and <laughs> that phone was out, you know, and Lord only knows what they did in that time. You're like, come on, man. I didn't see the phone, but I, I it looks like you're putting it away. Um, but now this last guy, what she said to him in this letter was so gangster. <laughs> she said, men are so stupid. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because you know, if a girl, if a girl wrote a letter to me in school, which I, I'm, I'm, I'm just old enough where occasionally you'd express 
your deepest, truest feelings in letters in school from time to time. Uh, you know, you like a friend of a girl would hand it to you. Like here, Becky wrote this for you. And you'd get, you're like, Oh man, I love Becky. Like what she got to say. And, and then Becky's like, I love, I love your transformer, uh, lunchbox. And you'd be like, yes, I knew that was a good call. Trans, everybody loves Optimus Prime. And they're like, you're like, we're going to be together forever. And, and that's like first grade, you know, and you think that here it goes. Uh, but, but man, if I got this letter, I don't know. I'm such a sap that I could see myself falling for this. She said, Andrew, we shall be so happy once you get here. And my heart beats in wild rapture for you. My Andrew, I love you. Come prepared to stay forever. In other words, bring all your money. (laughs) And then I'm going to kill you. (laughs) And then, of course, he went bye-bye. He it was is. the wild rapture part. Yes. No, my, That's what got him. My heart's wild. He's like, he's like, man, she said wild rapture. She didn't even know that I liked the dictionary. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm in. Let's go. Let's go. And so, of course, you know, this guy goes out, ends up disappearing. Uh, but uh, he's got a brother. And I don't know how you say this brother's name, but I'm just going to let our listeners come up with their own ideas. His brother's name is spelled A-S-L-E. You know, I listened to a couple podcasts about this story, and I believe they all pronounced it Axel. Axel? That's what I heard. Man, that's I sound, could be making stuff up. That sounds like kind of Norwegian right, white trash to me. I'm kind of down with that. Like, <laughs> Axel, let's go. Like, he probably lived in a double wide, whatever the Norwegian's version of a double wide is. I'm afraid if I pronounce it the way I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking it should be pronounced. It's going to sound like another name that we shouldn't be saying. Because <laughs> I, 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 I see A S L E, and I'm like, hmm, that's just an abbreviation for a bad word, mm-hmm. right there. Exactly. You, know? you Axel, you know, yeah. but but yeah, you know, make it more of an S sound. Yes, exactly. Uh, that's a, what a, I was as 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 I don't, I'm not sure what it is, but yeah, no. But old Axel, man, he gets the trailer park comes out in him, and he's like. I know something is not right. He didn't fall for it. And uh, and he uh, he said, I'm going to do something about this. This woman took my brother for a ride and not in a good way. And what then we, we find out is there's a farmhand named Ray Lampier. Now, Ray. He's been standing on the sidelines. He's been watching these men come in and out of here. And he's in love. He's in love with this crazy woman. <laughs> Not only in love, the only reasonable explanation for his survival is he's helping bury the bodies. That's the only thing that makes sense. That's the only reason he's still alive. Yep. Even though she can move a piano, digging a hole is hard work. <laughs> it's hard work. Like digging a hole is like a two-person job. Really, I mean, yes, you can dig holes by yourself all day, but if you need a big body-sized hole, it's good to have a partner. And, you know, and, and I mean, I could just see it, you know, he's there, they're digging the hole. They're getting ready to throw a body in. He's looking over at her soaked Norwegian brow <laughs> and he's just like, oh man, this woman right here now, I'll tell you what, who I know we're about to throw this body in here. We just cut this guy's head off, but I'm telling I love you, girl. I love you. You're my kind of crazy. Like what's Ray, 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 buddy, you, you're not going to make it out of this equation. It's all going to end badly and apparently they once had a relationship and how on earth he survived that relationship because she's like a praying mantis at this point in my mind she's got him brainwashed yeah that's it that's it 
That's it, because he does end up going along with it. Now, she knows that the heat's coming down, right? She knows the brother is on to the game. She knows that this this guy's going to undo it. And then Ray, you know, driven mad with jealousy, probably. Like, we dug all these holes for bodies together, and now you're not even going to give me the time of day. You're not going to ride off into the audience. How much money is enough? Can you even imagine that conversation? Like, I can't wait to see it in the movie where former porn star Tracy Lords <laughs> plays Belle Gunness. And I don't know who they're going to get to play Ray, but, like, I hope it's I hope it's a heavyweight actor. So I got, they just need to put Denzel in that role and really class <laughs> this picture up a little bit. Because can you imagine that conversation? You know, here... He's like, he's like, I love you after everything I've done for you, after everything I've helped hide and I've lied to people. I put myself at risk. And now when's it going to be enough? When's it going to be enough money, Belle? And she's like, that's never going to be enough. This is just who I am. He's like, like, dig another hole. That's right. He's like, I can't follow you into this dark. I can't do it. And And finally he just storms off and she's like, oh, I see an opportunity. Or, or maybe she says, Ray, listen, baby. I got one last plan, and then this is it. We're going to be together forever. It's going to be wonderful. I just need you to trust me. So he goes away, and you know he's acting all disgruntled and jealous. But then, what's Belle do? Well, she goes and sees an attorney. She knows what's up. She this knows. Smart man, dude. This, you know what? This is scary. Yes, she's like on top of it, man. She's like, she's an evil genius. And she doesn't even have podcasts to listen to like we do to no. develop our plans. How'd she figure all this out? I mean, the poisoning alone, I got to thinking about this. If I had to poison somebody, I'm not sure I would know where to start past Drano. Like, how do you get something down someone without them objecting violently? Like, you know, I mean, have you ever seen that movie Flowers in the Attic? All, I'm not a movie person. Well, that's that's right. I know that's right. You you you, you watch shows forever and ever. This is true. But not movies. I'm telling you, you might enjoy the creepiness of Flowers in the Attic. The only movie that we can talk about is People Under the Stairs because <gasps> it's the only thing that I really have watched. People Under the Stairs. It's a one. classic, wasn't yes, it? Yes, and they're and they're remaking it, which I don't know how I feel about that. Like, but I, mm. I I'm like, don't <laughs> screw it up. Don't screw if you if you're making it, just make it your own. Don't don't try to lean on just mm-hmm. go a different direction. But no, so there's this um, movie called Flowers in the Attic, and it was uh, based on a popular series of books in the in the 1980s by a, an author named V.C. Andrews, and uh, you're crazy popular. And then after V.C. Andrews died, the books were so popular, thanks in no small part to this very successful film that a ghostwriter actually picked it up and continued to write as V.C. Andrews and continue the story. Well, the flowers in the attic tells the, tells the tale of this woman who has three or four kids and she is off living her life and not an extravagant life or anything crazy like that. Just a normal middle-class life. And her husband dies or gets killed or something like that. And so she is forced to go back and uh, live with her mother And what the kids discover is that their mom's parents are loaded. They live in this like crazy mansion and where it's like there's secret passageways and there's a, Mm. there's a massive attic and, and so they get there, but they're not allowed to roam the house because for whatever reason that they can't be seen by 
their mom's father. Uh, and it has something to do with the inheritance she's going to receive. And like the whole thing is, is she can only receive the inheritance supposedly if the kids stay out of the picture uh, and, and the daughter convinces the dad, you know, Hey, this is my inheritance. This is my livelihood. And, and maybe if she gets remarried, it's, it's very crazy. So they, they don't exactly stick to the plan. And then they start getting locked into this wing of this mansion. So they literally can't get out and they're being fed by a butler. They don't see their mom all the time. They instead deal with their psychotic uh, grandmother. I think it is. She's bringing them cookies all the time, always bringing them cookies and they're like sugar cookies. And one of the smallest kids gets sick and he gets a he gets a pet rat, like because that's all they they just have this one little wing, and they get up in this attic where they can see outside and stuff, but they can never actually go outside, and they can't leave this wing of this huge uh, uh, manor, basically a mansion's not really a good word. It's more like a like a Victorian era manor or something like that. And so this kid's um, rat gets sick, and uh, and 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 eventually dies. And then the kid, this little kid gets sick and, and they finally discover the older brother discovers that, uh, that they're dying of arsenic poisoning, that their grandmother has been slowly poisoning them with arsenic that she sprinkles onto the cookies and she's slowly trying to kill the kids. Meanwhile, they're going months, like almost like a year or maybe even years without seeing their mother. They, they don't even know where she's at or what she's doing. They try to escape from the, the mansion. You know, eventually they do manage to break out, but they're thin and pale and sick. And I mean, it is, it is a crazy, scary movie, but one of those things that you could almost imagine, like this doesn't seem so far fetched from reality because it was all about their mom getting this massive inheritance and, and they end up blowing it wide open at the end because the, her mom's getting remarried and, and these kids bust out and her new husband doesn't even know she has children. So it's, I mean, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy movie. So good. Very hard to watch very, especially when they, they bury the little kid uh. because, because they, they bury the little kid in an open grave in the woods and they just, they just dig a hole and throw dirt on him. It's, it's awful. Um, so yeah, but it's, Ray. <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah, so now, so, so bell, bell goes back and, uh, she sees this attorney and she says, you know, Ray Lampier, listen, this man, he's crazy, driven mad with jealousy. He's out to get me. I think that one of these nights he's going to burn my house to the ground. Now, Bell already has a history with fire, Sabrina. Mm-hmm. What burnt down, Sabrina? The candy store burnt down. And then their house burnt. And then their house burnt down. And good Lord, now Ray Lampier... <laughs> Denzel Washington is going to show up and he is going to burn their house down. And what she do? She leaves that attorney's office. 
She goes and she buys some toys for her kitties, you know, because she's a good mom, I guess. You know, <laughs> these are the two kids she's decided to not kill. Yeah, the ones and, she kept. The yeah, she's children. like, these, these ones here, these are keepers. They're coming in handy around the house. I can't move this piano by myself forever. You know, so eventually I'm going to need some help. But two is enough for anybody. She was she was thin. She was doing population control, you know, before before genocide <laughs> was even popular. And uh, so she yeah, but she also gets some kerosene. And bang, sets that house on fire. What's crazy is when the authorities show up, they supposedly find Gunnis's body. They supposedly find three children charred up in the farmhouse basement. And a headless woman, a headless woman, they assumed it was Belle. But you know what happens when you assume Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just genius. Yeah. I she, hate to speak that way of somebody who's killed several people. And, yeah. But, but she, she had enough dead bodies to put this together. Like, all she had to do was take piece her. Piece them together. <laughs> yeah. All she had to do was take her husky Norwegian self out, dig a few of them up, and just, she could probably drag two bodies at one time. I'm just saying, Easy. probably wasn't even that much of an effort for her. And so, yeah, sure enough. Uh, and then Lampier, all the suspicion was thrown on him. He was quickly charged with arson and, and murder. And, and that's when the true horror becomes revealed when the police start searching the grounds and they find, hopefully, or hoping to find the, the missing head from the house. But um, they don't find it. What they end up finding are a bunch of soft depressions that they think are trash. And as they dig their sacks of severed limbs, one of the worst descriptions I remember reading Sabrina was, was that, was that the sacks were oozing like jelly. It's like, I feel like I can smell it, taste it in the back of my mouth. So here's the million dollar question. Did she die or did she stage all this? And she rode off into the sunset. You know, she went without Ray. Uh huh. Their dreams of being together. And yeah, she said, not today, Denzel. Nope. Not today. Mm-mm. I wonder how Belle feels about her future movie and being play- portrayed or being played a former porn actress mm-hmm. portraying her life. I think she's probably into it. She's like, this girl's short and skinny. I don't know what. Yeah. Tracy Lords looks like, but she's, I get the feeling that if she was a porn star, she's probably not Vikingish. Probably not. She's probably not real Viking. But but you know, I think Belle would look at her, and I think she would say, "You know what I see when I look at former porn star Tracy Lords? I see a girl that did what she had to do to survive. I see a girl who she had to do things that the world would not approve of." that the world would look down upon, that would make it hard for her to be reinserted into society. She did these things and she persevered. She she made it out. She made it out of the fire of the porn industry. She was in big Hollywood movies. Everybody knows who she is. She doesn't have to do that stuff anymore. She doesn't have to show up and get things you know, shoved on or, you know, other places. She doesn't have to do that anymore. You know, she, she's made it out to a new life. Tracy Lords. She's basically ridden off into the sunset. Like Belle Gunnis. She just justified herself. Pretty much. 
I mean, I think you, I think we might be able to say Tracy Lords might have been born to play this part. I mean, she basically has the same life as Belle Gunnis without the murder, uh, essentially. Uh, this and, is an interesting concept, really. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what the crazy part about um, when the when the police were there and they were searching the grounds and they were finding all this ooey gooey wonderful goodness and trash bags and <laughs> that like the townspeople. We're coming to watch. Yeah. And it become quite the spectacle. Mm-hmm. They were selling concessions. <laughs> <laughs> Kettle corn. <laughs> Elephant ears. <laughs> they sold what they called gunna stew. <laughs> <laughs> the toast with gunnish jelly. <laughs> 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 it became like a national attraction, man. Little kids out there just licking ice cream. Can you imagine the smell that was in the air? Oh. Number oh. one, it was a pig farm. Mm. Number two, there's a several, several dead bodies in, you know, the goodness. Mm-hmm. And then you have like the smell of the food on top of that. Yep. All while you're standing there just having a snack, watching the cops do their thing. <laughs> Isn't that the weirdest thing? I mean, I'm surprised the circus didn't just roll into town and be like, we got a Ferris wheel, everybody. Let's go. You want to see a better view of the murder scene? Get on the Ferris wheel. In Let's today's go. society, they would have been selling tickets. Oh, like. my gosh, man. It would have been it would have been all she wrote. It, it's been, there were people lined up for miles, for miles. I wonder if any of it still exists. I wonder if it's been preserved. That's a good that's a good question. I, I bet you can probably still go to the land anyway. It's probably some like strip mall or something now. Probably. <laughs> they probably gentrified it, which that's probably a better thing if <laughs> if we have to be honest. Now, what what's what's intriguing to me is perplexed authorities when they were finding the corpses, when they found the woman who they presume to be Bell Gunnis, they were like, Man, this woman that we found, she was Small, not a Viking, definitely not a 300 pound woman. Like, I don't know. They also found teeth. You know, they're able to recover teeth, but some debate as to whether or not it was hers. Even uh, DNA tests that were ran years later. There were envelopes that Bell Gunnis had licked. Even years later, DNA was, yeah, it was inconclusive about whether or not she, she died in the fire. But, uh, Ray Lampier, he, you know, charged with arson. Um, he would say, you know, I don't know anything about the house of crime as they call it, but, uh, you know, yeah, I worked for Miss Gunnis, worked for Miss Gunnis. I was madly in love with Miss Gunnis. Come on, Denzel, you got to sell this. Uh, but I didn't see her kill anybody and I didn't know she'd killed anybody. His what? response was, I just did the planting. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's right. It was just, you know what? She, I just planted the corn where she told me to plant the corn. You know, and it was, it grew so good. The fertilizer, like you can't <laughs> whole, imagine. Uh, but as he was dying, now, you know, who knows? Who knows? He supposedly admitted that, oh, yeah, he and the psychotic love of his life had murdered north of 40 men. And he was right there the whole time, just laying in his cell. Dreaming about husky old Bell Gunnis. 
Yeah, he knows she didn't die. Come on, right. he knew. Right. I bet I bet it was like Shawshank Redemption. I bet he'd get like a postcard in the mail every once in a while. Wouldn't be addressed to anybody, you know, but it'd be like from, you know, Zewataneo or wherever it was. He crossed over in uh, Shawshank. I bet it was something like that. You know? I'm trying to follow your reference, but, you know, I'm not a movie person. <laughs> oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Man, I'll, I'm I'll, sorry. I'll, listen, you need, to, you need to watch Shawshank. I'm too busy listening to your crime podcast. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's uh, something like this. If this is true, which I don't I, – I, I don't think it's uh, impossible by any stretch of the imagination that, that she could have killed upwards of 40 men. I mean, if it was as regular an occurrence as they say, even neighbors would say, hmm, she seems to spend an inordinate amount of time in her uh, hog pen at mm-hmm. night. I'm not sure why. I don't know why she didn't just feed him to the hogs. That's what I was just thinking. I just recently learned that hogs will eat literally anything. Yeah. And, I mean, it'd be as... Seems like it would be a, maybe it just wouldn't happen as quickly. Maybe. Or the smell or, I mean, there could be. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, just starve your pigs for a while. I mean, she could have planned it out. Starve your pigs for a while and then, you know, have a feller come in and, you know, whack him over the head with whatever. However she did it. You know, I mean, she probably could have taken him out with her bare hands, you know, big old Viking Norwegian hands. Uh, You know, she probably made, you know, her own bell stew, like just big meaty hands and just take those guys out and just pitch them out to the pigs. How she hid it from her kids. That's a real question mark. Although when I see pictures of her kids, I'm like, these kids look like serial killers. Yeah. Like, they got crazy all yeah. in their eyes. How could they not? Yeah. I mean, they're not right. They not? Those you, kids aren't right. You know they found Jenny in the hog pen, too. Yeah. Man. Yep. They found old Jenny Olson. She didn't go to California and get her learn on. She ran her mouth. She didn't know the the, the rule of the yard. Snitches get, get stitches, stitch. man. She didn't know. Loose lips sink ships, Jenny Olson. Not today, Bell Gunnis said. Mm-mm, you're not going to ruin my murder empire. She took that girl out. Now, as a final twist in this whole crazy saga, 1931, quite some time after the murders in LaPorte, Indiana stopped, There's a woman named Esther Carlson. She's arrested in Los Angeles for doing what? For poisoning a Norwegian American man and attempting to take his money. Do we know anybody who would do something like that? I can't think of anyone. Oh my (laughs) gosh. She didn't die in that fire. Everybody didn't die in that fire. She died, but you know, the old, the old TB, tuberculosis, the consumption, it got her. The Taco Bell. The, the, the Taco Bell. <laughs> it got her. She couldn't make it to trial. But there were a lot of people who said, wait a second. This is a, she's a big, she's a big old gal. Anybody got a piano? Should we could see if she can lift? Like, cause that'd be all the evidence we need right there. She's alive. And, and she even had a photograph with kids. You know, kids a little older, you know, they looked uh, looked like Gunnis's kids. It, uh, I mean, it's unconfirmed, obviously, but uh, I think it's pretty safe to say she lived to slay another day. I would love to know how much money she ended up with overall, and what happened to it. Where yeah. where did it go? Like, obviously, it was in her ticket to Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> I read that she. That this was a span of 24 years, 24 years of killing. 
Yeah. And collecting money. Yeah. And burning houses and collecting money. Um, can you imagine the trail of blood from LaPorte, Indiana to Los Angeles? We don't even begin to know the totality. This was 40 men. <laughs> that's a conservative estimate. At least, yes. At she, least. she could easily be America's most prolific killer, period, maybe. We don't, we, we don't have any idea. Evil genius. Bell Gunnis, man. I mean, not just the infamous female serial killer, but just a boss serial killer. Like Jack the Ripper has got nothing on Bell Gunnis. I have to say that I did um, look up a recipe for Gunnis stew because <laughs> I really just wanted to know what it was. And I got really, really, really excited <laughs> until I realized it was Guinness stew. Oh, Guinness. I'm not Gunnis stew, but yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. What was in the gunna stew? I tell you, I see a, a trip to Laporte, Indiana, in my future, and like, who has got the recipe for gunna there stew? There better be a diner there. It's gotta be. They've gotta be selling some gunna stew. <laughs> gotta be. I mean, if we can have Mothman themed food around here, we can have gunna themed stew. Listen, those guys were lonely. Clearly, their families didn't 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 care enough about them to come after them. one poor sap. You know, had someone come after him. It's okay. It's not inappropriate. We can have gunna stew in this day and age. It's totally PC. Maybe not, but I w- I really want to know because I mean, what do you start? <laughs> I mean, shredded shredded beef, maybe, or 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 maybe ground beef. You know, because she killed with the meat grinder. Even ground beef might make more sense there. Not not just shredded. You definitely I just want- think like lardy, b- fatty, ooh, like. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, like like eat this and you can lift a piano type food. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was she was she was a hearty gal. I look at her. Listen, I'm I, when I pulled up that picture. I'm not gonna lie to you. I took one look at Bell Gunnis, and I was a hundred percent like, yeah, I date her. Seriously, <laughs> I think she looks scary. That first one, yeah, she does look scary. But but I wonder what she looked like when she smiled. She, I bet she was charming. She had to be. She had to be charming. I know she looks so, so, but everybody, in fairness, everybody was serious in pictures in the 1890s. They did. They didn't know they could smile in pictures back in the day, but I bet, you know, she turned on that charm and, and she rolled in with them, you know, Viking, you know, childbearing hips. And I mean, I bet she was like a Shakira song, man. The (laughs) hips don't lie. And she was, man. And those, like those poor guys were just like. You're what I've been looking for my whole life. And and man, those Vikings never stood a chance. She was she was she was the ultimate Viking man. Dude, that story I think will never leave my mind. <laughs> never. <laughs> it is it is something else. And and it represents a certain uh a very unique pathology that I guess on the one hand you could say it's all about the money. It's all about the Benjamins for Bell Gunnis. But I think it's a convenient cover uh, for a, just a deeper-seated urge to to do whatever it is that serial killers do. I think money was just an easy side effect of what was happening. Like, ah, let's just make them rich. Yeah. And I get something out of it along with. I'm always amazed. Uh, have you ever known very many wealthy people? No. <laughs> I... I worked for some very wealthy people one time 
and the stereotypes that you that you hear about wealthy people seem to stand up. This uh, wealthy family that I worked for, um, they were actually uh, in Point Pleasant, and uh, I won't. Of course, I won't name them. Won't name them, but uh, they they were in in the money, and every day that we would go to work for this family, it was so surreal because they lived in the kind of reality that I think only money can allow you to do this, um, this kind of veil of what the real world is like. And for them, it's almost like you've got the little people that are on the other side of the veil and they're on this other side of the curtain where there's all this privilege and, and, and nobody really asks that many questions because you're wealthy. And then every now and again, they would send us to look through stuff. I remember one time they were having us help plan an auction at a home that they owned that nobody lived in a home with a very nice pool out back, huge garage, nice home, lots of property. And as you peruse this place, everywhere you turned, there was some kind of collector's item clearly not a place where people were intended to live, but just a storage facility more or less for the eccentricities of, of wealthy people. And I've wondered sometimes that if for someone like Belle Gunnis who had money, if that money afforded her to indulge in the eccentricity and the excess that the rest of us simply never could get away with, because I do think it's true that sometimes money just makes people not ask questions. And, and, and I've definitely seen these people, they lived by their own set of rules and no rules outside of their rules ever seemed to exist. And whenever the real world pushed in against their world, they fought back violently against it to maintain their version of reality that they wanted to uphold. And then the ultimate culmination of this was when I went to a second house that they did not live in, but they owned very nice place, uh, a mansion by all standards. And I'm perusing through this house and I'm seeing a room full of pinball machines and yet again, another really nice pool, like a four or five car garage and utility vehicles everywhere and exercise equipment downstairs. And there was a something there, something in that space that was just unnerving and unsettling about how, what happens when people disconnect themselves from reality, this is what they become inside of a world that only they can explain and that you're powerless really to do anything about it seems. And with serial killers, with someone like Belle Gunnis, I, I think that for so long she was able to create the bubble where everyone was powerless to do anything about what she was doing. And she played that tune to such perfection that she was able to live out her life under natural causes, sheltered probably in some way by that money, sheltered in some ways by the fact that she was always a widow, always playing off of that story and ultimately ending her life just in the same fashion as many other people. 
but carrying this constant dark history around her that to her wasn't really a dark history, but maybe more like that house that I perused through where it was just a collection of things that were fond and memorable to her, a sort of psycho circus, or if you will, that, uh, that she could always go to her, her, her own little palace of horror in her mind uh, that she managed to maintain with meticulous care till the day she died. It's a very unnerving thing to think about. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's very interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this, and I'm interested in the correlation between Bill Gunness and Tracy Lords. Like, I'm so, <laughs> still going to go back to that. <laughs> this is basically, this is Tracy Lords life story right here. This is pretty much what it is. And I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see I it. I feel like we should have a screening when it finally does come out. It's called, It's called, by the way, The Farm. I want to know when it's coming. Yeah, it's soon IMDB it up. Here's here's what's coming in the future, folks. And we're, we're about to leave you here. But uh, one of our next episodes is going to revolve around the deeds of a ventriloquist puppeteer named Ronald William Brown, who planned to kill and eat children. Fun fact, uh, he worked as a Christian puppeteer on a television show. So that one is in the pipeline. Also, we at some point in the near future will be exploring the deeds of the 11-year-old murderer. Yes, you heard that right. 11-year-old murderer, Mary Bell. Go ahead and give these things a Google if you want a unsettling night of no sleep. There's one more thing I wanted to add. Yeah. Um, one thing about being um, very much kind of consumed with uh, true crime. I listen to true crime all day long while I'm at work, constantly in my mind. My therapist says, <laughs> famous words, my uh-huh. therapist says that it makes me acutely aware of my surroundings and that I'm probably not likely to be killed by somebody because I'm constantly looking for it. Like constantly, like one day I was in the garage, I was getting something out of the back of my car and the garage door went down while I was in the garage. And I immediately looked to the door to see if there was somebody standing there ready to kill me. Like, that's just where my brain goes because I listened to this. But I mean, I think it, it does bring, um, a bit of awareness to your life when you are interested in things like this. Cause mm. you, your antenna do tend to be up. Is oh, that yeah. right? Antennae? Antenna? Antenna. Antenna, antenna is antenna, antenna. I don't know what the plural of antenna is. Maybe maybe it's already plural. Like you wouldn't say Chinese is. I don't know. Like, yeah. But anyway. Anyways, like it's it's a fine line of being aware and paranoid, obviously. (laughs) But there I mean, there is kind of maybe a a upside to being into serial killers and true crime is that you are, you are aware of your surroundings probably more than someone who wouldn't listen to. I agree a hundred percent. A perfect example of this is just the other night. um, We got a text message or a Facebook message from one of our neighbors and they have uh, three or four kids and the mom messaged and said, Hey, um, can you, can you peek out the door and see if everything's okay? at our house and I would have been like, no, sorry, can't help you. I'll be here under my covers. And then she said, we, we messaged our, we two of our boys are at home alone and we haven't heard from them in like three hours. And, and we're starting to kind of get a little worried. We just want to make sure that everybody's okay. 
Now I hear this and the very first thing I do is I go uh, to, I'm not going to tell everybody where it is, but there's a spot in my house where I keep a splitting ax. And, uh, and I went right back and I grabbed the ax and I headed out the door. Uh, I don't even remember if I had all my clothes on, didn't care because I heard potential danger. We haven't heard from the children in three hours. And so I'm heading down, not thinking about the fact that I'm, you know, I look like I look a large burly fellow with a big beard standing out on the road with an ax, possibly naked, possibly naked. I don't remember if I had pants on. And, uh, uh, and so, uh, I'm, and I'm just looking at the house and, and here's the creepy thing. All the lights are off. All the lights are off. Now, when I was a kid and I stayed home by myself, uh, all the lights were never off. So everything in me heightened thinking, I'm going to have to fight someone. I'm going to have to use the blunt end of this axe to beat somebody up. And in my mind, I'm thinking I should have brought the shorter one because it's easier to swing, would have made a more effective weapon. But Jamitha, meanwhile, is at the top. She's going, Chad, you're going to freak everybody in the neighborhood out standing down there with that axe. I'm sure everybody's fine. I'm like, how do we know that? How do we know everybody's fine? We don't know everybody's fine until we go over there and check this out. And she's like, she's like, you can't go over there and look in the window because all they're going to see is this big fat dude dressed in black with an axe standing outside their house. I'm sure that will prompt a call to the police or the parents or lights flipping on everywhere. And I'm like, you know what? You're probably right. So I came back up to the house and put my axe away and we just, and apparently everything was okay. Everyone was fine. But, uh, but definitely that, uh, that fight or flight thing jumps right up in me. I'm always, I always am kind of looking around corners and watching the hands of individuals in public. I don't trust anybody. I I don't either. It's, it's crazy what, what true crime and listening to these things, it's probably not the best thing to be filling your mind (laughs) with constantly, but it does make you more aware and it does, um, it does make you aware of your surroundings. And yeah, I just thought it was interesting. I never... I explained to my therapist, you know, just what's wrong with me? Why can't I stop listening to this stuff? There? But she was like, no, I, th- I think it's really a good thing. Like, I don't I don't think you're going to be murdered anytime soon. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We're going to know. We're going to see it coming and we will be ready. We're crazy. <laughs> well, Sabrina, thanks for coming on tonight. I have had a good time. And as a message to all of you young people out there with all of the, uh, Facegram and Insta Twitter and whatever it is your kids use these days. You get messages all the time from people and maybe messages inviting you to come over and hang out and do whatever. And listen, I know that that sounds fun, but you need to ask yourself this question in your immediate future. What would a Norwegian immigrant do if he got a letter from a lady saying, uh, my heart is in wild rapture for you. You have to think this through because you could be showing up to a shotgun at a door. You could most definitely end up in a hog pen in a hole. You know, so you got to always ask yourself, what would the Vikings do? The Vikings would be more careful. Uh, a less lonely Viking would have asked a lot more questions like, why are you so interested in money? Why do you want me to come out right now? 
why do you have soft spots in your hog pen? That's strange. And don't tell me that's just where I bury my trash. This is 1898. We can burn trash. We don't need to worry about that nonsense. Or we could compost. There's any number of things we could do. The point is, ask more questions. Because you never know. Listen, take it from take it from old Memphis T-Bone Dotson. I'm a professional in dating crazy women. All right? And... I've nearly died in more than one instance in my life. I had my own Bell Gunness in my life one time, children. And I want you to hear me carefully on this because I know a lot of you kids at Southern High School are listening. And uh, and Daniel Otto, wherever you are, I want you to hear this too. And I, you're going to be tickled that I mentioned you on this. There was a time when I had a woman in my life. She wrote me letters and said nice things. And she probably said her heart was in wild rapture for me at one point. Until she started getting extra crazy. I'm talking like special sauce crazy. And then I tried to walk away from the whole situation. And as I was running away, one night she showed up to my house unannounced, which is not the kind of thing that generally happens to you when you're a freshman in high school and you can't drive. I still don't know how she got to my house. She lived like a good 10, 15 minutes away by car. That's like a two hour walk, guys. But when I met her, Her eyes were wet from crying, black mascara or whatever that stuff is. They running down. She looked like a bad version of the Joker. And she said, is there somewhere quiet when we could go talk? And because I didn't ask myself the questions of a lonely Norwegian man or that a lonely Norwegian man should be asking, I followed her into the dark, guys. And I sat down there and she was behind me. She was around me. She was in front of me. She was sizing me up. She was thinking, how long is it going to take to get that arm and that hand and that leg off there? And where can we, can we go dig him like some holes in old man Manley's backyard and maybe cast him down there? We'll put the blame on old man Manley. He's mafia. People will know what's up. And then as we're talking, I managed to get her laughing, thinking situations turning for the positive. And I jokingly said to her, well, at least the thought never crossed your mind to kill me. And she said, oh, no, it did. And I had it all planned out. And kids, that was a day in my life when I learned that you got to ask a lot of questions of crazy because it's in your own best self-interest. Because if you don't, then that next hole in the ground, that's got your name on it. And the bag of jelly that they pull up out of the ground, that's going to be your appendages. So when you lay yourself down to sleep at night and have your dreams, I hope that you don't see Bell Gunnis leaning over your bed in the middle of the night. Just remember, it's probably just a shadow. It's probably just an illusion. But just in case... Pack your stuff and leave your house for at least 48 to 72 hours and call the police. That's my best advice that I got for you. And that's all we have time for on this episode of the Kitchen Sink Podcast.